Welcome to Utah Talks Climate Podcast, brought to you by Utah Clean Energy. Each episode brings together Utah leaders to get their unique perspective on the impacts and solutions to our climate challenge. Welcome to the Utah Talks Climate Podcast, brought to you by Utah Clean Energy. Each episode brings together Utah leaders to get their unique perspective on the impacts and the solutions to our climate challenges. My name is Tom Love. I'm president of Love Communications in Salt Lake City, and welcome to another edition of Utah Talks Climate. I am very honored to have my good friend, Mr. Mark Price, the executive vice president of the Zion Forever Project, as our guest today. The Zion Forever Project is the nonprofit arm of Zion National Park, Cedar Breaks National Monument, and Pipe Springs National Monument, all in southwestern Utah. Mark, welcome today. Hey, it's great to be here. Tell us a little bit about what the Zion Forever Project does and how you ended up there, your background um, and your commitment to this fabulous project. Well, the Zion Forever Project, as you mentioned, is the official nonprofit partner. We, we work hand in hand with the park uh, philanthropically supporting projects and initiatives that the park can't get done on its own. So we bring value-added margin of excellence to the park and to the visitor experience. We also uh, provide support um, for all of the park stores. So all the park stores in those three parks are park stores that we run and operate with proceeds from those uh, from those retail outlets going back to support park projects. My family and I came down from Montana, from Glacier. I helped uh, the merger of the uh, Glacier National Park Foundation and the Glacier National Park Natural History Association. Uh, but Lyman Hafen, our CEO, president and CEO, is a friend of mine down here. Uh, and when he was talking to me about the launch of the Zion Forever Project, um, and the possibilities around that, um, I couldn't say no. I have a history, a bit of history in Utah, having worked for the Utah Arts Council. Um, and it was a real privilege to think about coming down to make a difference for Zion. Well, we are fortunate in Utah to have you back, my friend. So it's been fabulous to work with you. As we know, Zion National Park is the poster child of national parks in America, often, well, always, being ranked in, in the top two or three of visitation for national parks in America. Have you seen climate change having an impact on the ground down there? And if so, how? Well, I think we've seen it in a myriad of different ways. I think that the visitation patterns um, have changed. I think that the impact to the visitor experience uh, and to the wildlife and the resources itself have changed um, and been impacted. And so when we think about the Zion experience, um, clearly um, protection of the resource, making certain that the resource has a resilience and, uh, and the opportunity to respond to the challenges that are facing our park. As you mentioned, we had just over 5 million visitors last year. That was a high water mark for the park. Um, but you know the Forever Project, working with the park, you know we're here to help provide solutions to these issues. And as you mentioned, Zion is is not only a, a state resource; it's a it's an international resource. 
Mark, let's expand on the on the wildlife experience because that is that does help define the visitor experience. Is the wildlife that we encounter when we're in the park? How is how has climate change affected um, what you see as a, as a, with respect to habitat and wildlife? Well, the Forever Project, you know, working in concert with the park, we're funding a myriad of research projects to understand. Uh, the impacts to wildlife and, and the natural resources of the park. Um, and so when we think about the bighorn sheep, which is really the iconic um, animal, right, in, in, in Zion National Park, um, we know that its habitat extends beyond the park borders. And, and so when we think about um, how we provide solutions for those, um, for the animals in the park, we're talking about extending that um, protection and extending those strategies beyond the park boundaries. And so through conservation easements on the east side, working with willing landowners like Steve Nealeman and his family, Kevin McClaws and his family, as we look at bighorn sheep, Mexican spotted owl, even the Virgin River watershed itself, we have to think about those issues through the regional lens. And we're, we're fortunate to have great leadership with Superintendent Brady Baugh, uh, our other three other two parks, but also with BLM and Forest Service. And so as we think about the impacts design, we're looking at those now really through that regional lens and regional strategy. And that includes our three counties, Iron County, Washington County, um, and Kane County. Have you seen climate having a direct impact on the Virgin River or, or in rising temperatures having an impact on visitation? And, and if so, how is the park uh, addressing, addressing that? You know, I think that there's, there's a few things going on, of course. I mean, I think that clearly the, 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 the water flow and quality of the Virgin River uh, has been impacted. There are many factors, of course, that are that are probably uh, contributing to that. And I think what we're doing is we are funding research that the park's doing um, on those resources to really understand the impacts, to understand clearly what those what 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 is causing um, those impacts, so that then we can create and provide the solutions to test those solutions forward. And we're doing that both in the park but frankly, also outside the park with the Nature Conservancy and other partners, including the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, and the state parks as well, because again, they're feeling the same impacts, right? Sure, and so sure. we think about water quality, when we think about water flow, when we think about migration patterns um, of deer, of bighorn, all those animals, we have to understand that they don't understand, nor do they abide by park boundaries. They do not distinguish jurisdictions. Yeah, for sure. Exactly right. Um, well, we know one of the byproducts of climate change is extreme weather. And look at what's, what's happened in the park over the last, well, in all of southern Utah, but really also in the park. I mean, the, the, the magnitude of the flash flooding that has been happening just in this past week um, has to catch the attention of park superintendents and park leaders. And, and, you know, I hope the national park system as a whole, um, because extreme weather isn't going to change and these flash floods uh, catching people down there. How is the park sort of reacting to that and, and warning um, visitors and visitation to be careful um, when they enter the park? 
Well, that that's a great question. And what I would say is, I mean, I, clearly we know that those those uh, those events um, have are frankly what created the canyon to begin with, right? It's those those high water events. And and what I would say is that you know the park is very good at putting out in collaboration with a myriad of different partners, those safety messages, uh, including with the Utah Office of Tourism. So there's a very close relationship with all of those partners to make certain that before our visitors enter the park, they, they, they have that framework of understanding to keep themselves safe. But what I would also say the park is doing is, you know, we, we know the fragility of Zion Canyon, we know um, the, the scale and intimacy of that canyon. And so when we think about the visitor experience, we're, we're, we're also looking at that through the regional lens. And so when we think about um, the East Zion Initiative, as, you, as many of the, the, the listeners know, we are building with many partners um, a visitor center on the east side of the park. Right. And that visitor center will have an arrowhead on it, though it will be managed through a cooperative and innovative partnership model. Um, and connected to that is 40 miles of new mountain bike trail system um, from, from greens to blacks, as far as levels of, of, of uh, um, expertise of drive, uh, riders. And, the, um, and 40 miles of planned hiking trails that will start on private land and go into BLM wilderness study area. I mentioned that simply because that's a response to the pressures facing Zion Canyon, but also to extend that visitor experience to adjacent public and private land, which is exceptional. Sure. Uh, and and um, and so when we think about you know the future visitors experience, we really see it as a seamless experience across those jurisdictions. Yeah, for sure. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, how transportation um, in the park, to the park and within the park, um, has been responding to climate change or might be affected by climate change. I know that um, Zion National Park has been a pioneer with transportation issues. Tell us about what uh, Zion first launched and where the transportation system will be going with climate change in mind. Yeah, no, that's a great question. The you know, the, in 2000 is when the first propane shuttles came in onto the system yes. in, in Zion. It was a collaboration between uh, the mayor of Springdale uh, and the park and the Zion Natural History Association, which is what we were called before the Zion Forever Project. And, um, and there was, as one can imagine, you know, there was concern that this was with this work, people were going to not be able to go up the canyon uh, with the freedom that they were used to. And as we all know, um, the numbers don't lie. Last year, there were 6 million boardings on that wow. system. And so people coming off and on using that on, a, on an annual basis, 6 million visitors uh, and locals uh, use that system. And as folks know, it's a seamless system between Springdale and Zion National Park. And so what's happened uh, over the last few years is obviously the propane vehicles are what, 22 years old now, right. well beyond their shelf life. And so uh, working with the governor's office, working with our entire congressional delegation, every county, every municipality 
surrounding Zion National Park, um, the the, uh, the um, National Park through the U.S. Department of Transportation secured a $33 million grant um, to replace the propane with electric and to install 27 charging stations. Oh, fabulous. And within Springdale. And so those will have 30 new electric shuttles. The two pilot shuttles are on the road right now. But over the next several years, delivery will happen in a sequenced way to replace those propane. So that's sort of phase one. And those are electric. And again, just like Zion really led in this space in 2000, it's really leading in this space as we go forward. And, And particularly because of that connectivity across jurisdictions between Springdale and the collaboration and cooperation between Springdale and and the park. But we're also working on with Utah Clean Cities, Kane County and and Washington County is what is that extension of that uh, shuttle experience and mobility strategy look like across that larger landscape? And so what we're hoping to do is, of course, as we build the visitor center on the east side, it has a shuttle station, right? It has a shuttle stop. It has that shuttle infrastructure, including, you know, the electric infrastructure that's going to be necessary. So the idea being that eventually, as we move forward, connecting visitors from visitor center to visitor center through that new leg, that new phase of shuttle, which has to fit through the tunnel, right? Side by side. Sure. um, will be is what we're talking about now, Tom. And there's a lot of energy behind that. Um, but that's also something that as we move forward, we're gonna need that level of collaboration I mentioned for the grant itself. We're gonna need um, you know, our, our leadership to help provide that, um, that leverage to get that big vision completed. Washington County is moving on, on their electric fleet and we're not leading that by any means. We're just trying to support that as best we can. But again, the idea being that as visitors and, and, and folks who live in that community as residents, the idea is that you could jump on these shuttles down the road, put your mountain bike in the back or your family lunch in the back and get off at all these various sort of uh, venues for different types of experiences, right? Because again, remember Zion is surrounded by BLM, which has its myriad of different uses, and the Forest Service, which also has different uses and experiences available to them. And so I think the big idea regionally is how do we create that framework of experience? Because if we do that right, it will also help us understand and adapt to the continued changing climate. Right. Right, right, right. I remember the debate around the shuttle system in the year 2000, and everyone was scared of it, and everybody forecast doom and gloom. And what do you mean we can't drive our cars in there anymore? And and it's been one of the greatest things ever. And, and Zion National Park was a um, a pioneer in and had the first shuttle system of any park system and proved it could work. Um, and and as, as far back as 20 years ago, you were getting cars off the road in, in a propane-based system. It'll now be in a totally all-electric system. And one day, as you've told me, you'll be able to get on an electric vehicle in Hurricane, go get in the park, experience all the park you want, and then take it all the way over to Canab, all on electric vehicles. Um, getting gas-powered cars and buses and motorhomes off the road. I mean, that's just congratulations to you and the whole team down there. 
Well, it's a, it's a huge collaboration, as you know, and I think that one thing you mentioned I wanted to add to, and that is, you know, getting folks out of their cars, right, into these different modes of experience, because it's not about transit, right? It's really about experience and how you can better experience right, right. this landscape. And so multimobility is also a key focus of this. And so when we think about, you mentioned Hurricane to the park, you know, many uh, partners with Washington County as the lead, you know, they're building a multi, uh, multi-use trail from Hurricane that's going to go to the gates of the park and connect to that bike system. And with the advent of electric bikes, think about going across diversion flats in that area. I mean, it's spectacular country. And so we're also helping to expand that experience beyond the gates of the park and and take pressure off of Zion Canyon, but also produce better economic opportunities outside of the park itself, private sector. But inside the park, the other piece that we're beginning planning on with the park is extending the Perus Trail, which right now goes from the visitor center to the mouth of Zion Canyon. we are talking about extending that from there all the way to the Temple of Sinawava. Okay. And so the idea is right now, if you're on a bike, you're sharing that road with uh, folks that are going up to the lodge or the shuttles. And what we're going to be doing as we plan this is to create a separate, um, you know, multi-use trail that will go all the way to the temple. It and And by doing so, again, we're taking folks off the road, and we're providing a whole different kind of experience for the visitor in Zion Canyon. Well, you've seen firsthand, you know, because of COVID and climate, the explosion of, of e-bikes down in the park and, and e-bike shops. And, and so you are responding by building more trails and allowing that to happen. Who are the heroes, uh, Mark, that help the Zion Forever project to, to bring this to fruition? Well, you know, the, the, the heroes are, um, they're all, you know, I think that that's a great question. What I would say is the heroes are the frontline staff, right, um, of all the businesses in Springdale, of our park store ambassadors, of the frontline staff of the park service and Zion National Park and Cedar Breaks and Pipe Spring that, that care deeply about this resource and want to be in a place of innovation and want to, you know, think out of the box. Superintendent Brady Baugh, you know, we wouldn't be able to talk about these innovation measures without his leadership and his comfort with being uncomfortable, right? When you go outside your jurisdictional uh, boundaries and look through the collaboration lens, it's a much more complicated lens, but we know, and you mentioned at the very beginning, what the, the issues facing Zion require us to, you know, to really be innovative and adaptive as we go forward. Because what happens in Zion doesn't stay in Zion. We know that strategies and the framework of collaboration that we're creating here sure. is translated and can be translated and emulated across other parks. We're always sharing our practices. Right, right. I mean, Zion National Park is not an island. It's part of a a major national system. And I would imagine this information gets shared and other people are watching and observing and and you're you're watching and observing from other parks. And how does all all of this 
a climate change um, action uh, play on a national level or a, a broader collaborative level? Well, I think that, you know, clearly when we think about funding sources, when we think about our National Park Foundation partner and we think about our partners up uh, up in the Salt Lake Gateway, um, you know, they're clearly focused and interested in being innovative and providing solutions in some of these areas. And so when we think about um, moving forward in some of the uh, strategies we talked about earlier, including, you know, how we create that next phase of the shuttle system. Um, it takes all of those partners, but it also takes, you know, federal resources to leverage. Um, and so as we have those conversations um, nationally, um, they come all the way back to our leadership here in the state and having the governor's office, the congressional delegation, um, and uh, in our private sector leaders um, that's that's the that's the secret sauce, right? That's the that's that's how we're gonna address these significant issues because Zion is Utah's first national park, right. but it's also common ground, right? It's where people can come together, and we've seen that um, to do um, really important things, not only for our state, but again, you know, emulated across the country. Mark. Discussing climate change can often be a very difficult, difficult proposition because we see before our very eyes temperatures rising, weather getting more extreme, wildfires ravaging the West. Um, it's taking its impact on human beings and, and as you said, the wildlife in the park. Um, what gives you hope for the future for that region and for the park? Um, I love to hear you talk about collaboration and people working together. It's great when people can work together for common solutions. Uh, but what gives you hope for the future as it relates to climate and your part of the region? Well, this may, you know, listen, I've got, as you know, I've got two boys. I've got a 17-year-old boy and a 14-year-old boy. And, you know, they know what we're doing. Um, they're smart. Uh, they have great intellects. And my youngest is, you know, already trying to map out migration corridors globally to help address climate change and give resilience, right, to our to 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 our native species. And so I think that what gives me hope is the people that I work with and the resilience that they're uh, exhibiting. Um, and and you know, when you're in Zion National Park whether it's your first visit or your 30th visit, when you when you are in that space, um, it is a transformational space. It's a transformational experience. And and that 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 that's singular. These are singular experiences that um that we as as Utahns, um, you know, we're protecting those for the for the for a global audience to come. And so what gives me hope is 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 the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and so our job is simply you know we we need to give them the right foundation so that they can innovate and continue to be great leaders as we go forward tom well congratulations to you mark because the the collaboration that exists down there and the innovation that has already happened at the park 
um, is is in, inspiring and a uh, fantastic example to, to many others. Is there any other last point you would like to make as it relates to that region and climate change and um, what you are working to do every single day? You know, Tom, I think that the, you know, we, we could, we should have our, you know, our, um, our lead um, natural and cultural resource uh, specialist Cass Bromley on the on the on the call today because she could really get you you know get 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 our listenership you know the details around some of those really specific impacts with wildlife etc. But just know that clearly there's concern in that area and clearly there is a myriad of 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 research projects um, from bats to ringtails, to, you know, to pikas up, uh, up at, up at Cedar Breaks, 10,000 feet, right? They are the, you know, they live in that space. They're the key indicator species. And so that research is happening and, and it's happening within this, you know, within this, um, within this existing climate, um, within this existing environment. And so as we think about solutions forward, you know, we'll talk more about that as those research projects are completed. And we understand um, exactly what's happening on the ground, uh, which will then provide us the, you know, the strategies and tools we need to do, we need forward. Well, congratulations, Mark. Um, and and thanks for your leadership in this space. Um, that is a wrap today. Thank you for listening to this edition of Utah Talks Climate. My guest today has been Mr. Mark Price, the Executive Vice President of the Zion Forever Project in Southwestern Utah, the nonprofit arm of Zion National Park, Cedar Breaks National Monument, and Pipe Springs National Monument. Mark, thanks so much for your time today, and we will see you all on the podcast next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Utah Talks Climate. Check back for more episodes next month. And in the meantime, stay in the know on all things clean energy and climate by signing up for Utah Clean Energy's newsletter at utahcleanenergy.org.